Pretty dismal, huh? You know, all, out of all 150 psalms, this is without a doubt the saddest psalm you are going to find. The words are literally heartbreaking. You listen to them in the way Lair reads them, too. You get the general idea of a guy that is in deep, deep pain. What we have here in this psalm, although these whoever wrote the psalm is not identified, he doesn't want to continue living. Life is without hope. You remember back in verse 15, we see a man who literally wants to die. It says, afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Now, verse 15 is really kind of the key to this psalm, and it's the root of the problems. It stems from his youth. Now, no one knows quite for sure what was going on in this young man's life. But according to several commentators I read, it suggested that he was suffering with leprosy. Listen again to these starting words from verses 3 to 7. For my soul is full of troubles, my life draws near to Sheol. That's hell. I'm visiting hell right now. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. So whatever he's experienced, whether it's leprosy or not, he is, I guess I would put it in what I'd say, he's really bummed out. He's down at the bottom. And then you go back to verses 8 and 9 again. You've you've caused my companions to shun me. His friends don't want to hang around with him anymore. And if he had leprosy, they weren't going to hang around with him anymore. You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. He's got nobody around. And then again, verses 15 and 18. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up. So this has been with him from when he was maybe a small child. I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved. Some people say, did he have a girlfriend? Could that have been who it was? And, And my friends to shun me. They don't hang around. No, I have no companions. It's all darkness. In other words, what he is saying is all is lost. There is no hope. Now, whatever his affliction was, and like I said, I don't really know other than a few commentaries who suggested leprosy. He sees whatever is happening in his life as a punishment from God. Now, this may or may not have been the case, but it was not uncommon for God to afflict a few people with leprosy from time to time. In fact, there are three different occasions mentioned in the Old Testament. Maybe you know this. You know, King Isaiah. Uh, uh, he was afflicted with leprosy for sinning against the Lord's sanctuary. He profaned God's house. That's in Second Chronicles 26. Or maybe you remember Elisha had a servant named Gehazi who <laughs> took something that he shouldn't have had. He sinned against God's salvation. And maybe some of you remember even Moses' own sister, Miriam, sinning against God's servant in Numbers 12. Now today, in the midst of all this misery... I want us to draw our attention to a very defeated, discouraged, and depressed guy, but a man who in the middle of that still had hope. See, he believes that he has no future. He believes that he has no friends. 
He believes that he has no foundation upon which to stand. And he, has, he believes that he has no faith. In this prayer, this psalm, there really is no expectation here and no explanation at all for his problems. His life has been this way for years. He says from a young man, he sees no end to this misery. He feels that he is condemned to just struggle with all of the problems that he has until the day he dies. Now, when I first read through this psalm, I thought, man, that's hopeless. It might fit into Advent. (laughs) Hope. Have you ever been there, like what this guy is describing, where you kind of felt like life was kind of hopeless? I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you're there right now. I, I have no idea. I can't read your mind. Uh, or maybe you're aware of someone who's kind of fallen deep into the pits. If so, I believe the answer to this man's problems and the problem that you might have today can be found in this song. In the midst of his misery, there is hope. I'm going to share with you just two challenges that he brings up. They're, they're found in this psalm. Uh, they're challenges to hurting people. And if you are hurting today, or if you know somebody who's hurting today, I, I, there are a couple of things in here I think you need to remember yourself. And if you listen to somebody who's moaning and groaning about how life, how bad life is, you might want to say, I got two points for you. Our pastor shared them this morning at Restore. Here's challenge number one. Don't stop praying. Now, you'd almost expect me to say that. I mean, if you're in deep weeds, don't just give up. Go to the one who has absolute help out there. Don't stop praying. Even with all the problems, I don't know if you understood this in this psalm, even with all the problems this guy had, he he still was talking to God, complaining to God. Have you ever done one of those prayers, a complaint to God? I think they're called imprecatory psalms. <laughs> There's prayers, you know. <laughs> you know, that's almost the way you feel sometimes. God, what are you doing here? Don't you understand who I am? Don't you understand my problem? Yeah, but he was still praying. And recognizing how he prayed can help us face times like this. I hope you notice three different things. In verses 1, verses 9, and verse 13, it says he prayed continually. He didn't just, come on, Lord, straighten this out. Get with it. No, he kept on. We're told to do the same thing. Uh, In the book of Psalms, the 55th Psalm, it says, As for me, I call upon God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I'll pray and cry out to the Lord because why? Because he hears my voice. The other thing is he prayed emotionally. You ever done some of those prayers? Sometimes you're just as happy as a clam at high tide. You're just praying away and you're smiling and you're laughing. And then there are some times when you pray, the emotions are, you're angry. And sometimes it's a frustrated prayer, but it's emotion. He cries out day and night. He lets whatever's inside of him flow out to God who he knows listen. See, emotion is a vital part of effective prayer. I, I truly believe that human emotion and burdens Touch the heart of the Lord. Let me give you an example from the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is what we need to be reminded of in our prayer life. For we 
have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are. In other words, he lived the life you and I lived, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto that throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find the grace we need and helps and help in times of need. A little emotion there. And remember, sometimes when words fail us, the spirit takes over. Do you ever want to pray and you couldn't figure out what you want to pray? And you didn't know how to do it. You couldn't get the words out. I've shared this before. I have this. I have this strange thought, and this is just me. That when I'm praying and I'm grunting and I'm groaning, I picture God sitting on the throne. I'm trying to talk to God, and I got the Holy Spirit. And I got Jesus, and Jesus leans over and says, <clears throat> uh, "He's not making much sense, but he's one of ours." <laughs> And the Holy Spirit is on the other side and said, let me translate this for you, because <laughs> I kind of understand his heart as well. Just, just the way it is. Um, the Spirit in Romans 8, 26, 27, it says the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit is interceding on behalf of of one of God's children. He also prays intentionally. In verse 1, he directed his prayer to God and God alone. I don't know if you noticed that. He's moaning and groaning and he's crabby. He doesn't, he doesn't think God is there, but he's still talking to God. And God alone. Now, four times, he actually refers to God as Lord. Did you catch that? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You may remember that. Yahweh. He's talking about uh, this God, this covenant keeper, uh, this Jehovah, this God of all of the angel armies. So he knows who he's talking to. And so he's not talking to some obscure person. He's not complaining to his best friend or somebody down the street or somebody at the coffee shop. He's going right to the source. See, this name tells us that he is the God who keeps faith with his people. And he knew that. He's the God who never fails. As many times as I have ever been disappointed with God in my life, I have to step back and say, well, but he was always right. <laughs> Every time I thought he left me hanging, it was because I wasn't ready to do what he wanted me to do. He didn't fail me. Uh, he's the God who never deserts his own. We can talk about Psalm 23 today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's the God who is pretty creative. I know how I'd like to have my prayers turn out. But God sometimes have a different way of doing it. And his ways, he's got to go, say what? <laughs> That's pretty strange. But God is a creative God. He's a God who's able. Now, I could complain to my wife and say, this isn't working and everything. And she, she, could, she might just say, I don't know what to tell you. But God doesn't go, got me on that one. God is able. Whatever problems you have. I had a nice conversation with your bride this last week on Facebook Messenger. She says a nice thing about you, by the way. She misses her family here. She does that. And one of the things I wrote her, I said, I know it's kind of difficult at this point, but I'm going to give you one little phrase. I think I wrote it from my sermon. God is able. God's got this. He's got this. Whatever problem you got, God's got it. Why? Because he, he's able to do this. 
He's the God who can do the impossible anytime, anyplace, anywhere, with any who. So this anonymous psalmist knew the source of his help and strength. And while God doesn't speak in this psalm, which is interesting, that doesn't indicate that God didn't care for him. It just means God sometimes chooses not to answer. How many of you have unanswered prayers today? A few of you, you've been praying a long time for something, and you think, okay, I'm going to try one more time. Just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he... He doesn't care that he's not listening. And so we're told that the psalmist does begin to question God's silence in verses 14. I mean, after all, who can blame him? You're shouting to the Lord. You're praying to the Lord. You're weeping. You're crying. You're doing everything possible to get God's attention. And God, you just, you think he's not paying attention. It's kind of hard to carry on when the, uh, it seems like the heavens, and this is a really interesting description in Deuteronomy chapter 28, talks about how, uh, the heavens have turned to brass. In other words, it feels like your prayers are going to go, bump, bump, <laughs> bump, bump. They just not, don't quite get through that little barrier. And still he doesn't give up. Now, remember, God does not answer a single one of Job's questions. I'm reading through the Bible in a year right now again. Uh, started a week or so ago trying to little parts or do it again. And I'm re- reading through Job now, but Job had... Question after question after question from God. And God just sat there and listened. Until the end when he says, come on, hitch up your drawers, buddy. I got a few things to tell you. <laughs> and then he lays it all out. You know, my, your Redeemer still lives. Guess what? Hope is still there. And remember, God didn't answer Jesus when Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, loma sabachthani. Pardon me for speaking a little Greek and Latin here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was the answer from heaven? Nothing. Nothing. But what God did through his silence was his greatest work. See, God certainly spoke his creation into existence. Okay, let there be this. Okay, let there be this. Okay, let's, we need some of these. Let Let there be this. But a lot of his stuff happens in the silence. And regardless of what the problems of life may appear to be, they're never really what they what they seem. I mean, life, according to this writer, was fivefold. Uh, in verse six, he thought it was extreme. You put me in the depths of the pit. He thought it was mysterious. You've hidden me in the regions of the deep. He thought it was humiliating. You put me in the depths. He thought it was severe. Your hand is heavy on me. He thought it was exhausting. You overwhelm me with all of your waves. Now, that's the way the writer of this psalm felt. But what is life really like? Well, we could do a whole Bible study on this. We could look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It says, your problems are not extreme. They're just light. All the problems you and I have are light and temporary. And some of you are kind of going, oh, gee, I wonder what a bad one would feel like. (laughs) But even that one. In Romans 8, 28, it says they're not mysterious. They're according to God's will. God has this under control. Uh, it's not done in anger. It's always in love. I mean, first of all, we go First John 4, 8, what God is love. Pretty simple verse. They're not exhaustive. They're just, 
it's like he feels like he's drowning. It, it, really, it's just a few ripples. Second um, Corinthians twelve nine: the burden is but a slight motion in a calm harbor where the boisterous ocean is beyond. That's life. See, God is not afraid of our whys. Why is this happening? Why? Why always me? Why her? Why him? Uh, our questions don't scare God. They don't threaten God. Still, he desires us to come to the place where we cannot, well, even if we can't trace God, we can at least trust him. And that's is what he's after in our life. See, no matter how, how hard the winds blow, it doesn't make any difference, God is the ruler of the winds. Uh, no matter how rough the seas of your life become, uh, he's still the master of the sea. Uh, so even when God doesn't answer you, keep on looking for it. Persist in faith and it pays dividends. So never give up because, well, there's hope. And hope's name is Jesus. Here's the second challenge. First one was don't stop praying. The second one is don't stop praising. I do a lot of complaining prayers. <laughs> And I have to remind myself, everyone, to give myself a kind of a dope slap and say, maybe you should have a few more praising. I was tearing apart my sermon last night and this morning again, and I was kind of grumpy. Oh, God, I don't know why. Why don't you just give it to me when I need it? <laughs> and then God is kind of like, oh, be quiet and just keep working. And, you know, and when I looked at it again, it struck me. And I, I stopped for a moment. And I say, I kind of said to myself, sorry about that. <laughs> Praise. There's one gleam of of glory in this otherwise gloomy psalm. I don't know if you caught it. Here's verse one. He cries out to the he cries out to the Lord God of my salvation. Now salvation could be the God of my deliverance. It's also translated sometimes the God of my victory. See, if you were saved, if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior today, no matter how dark whatever valley happens to be that you're in. No matter how bad the trial is or difficult the way, you've still got a reason to praise. See, praise may not do away with your pain, uh, but it will bring you into the Lord's presence. And by the way, uh, go back and read uh, Job chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Uh, you're going to find out there that Satan had a hard time with a praising saint. Well, you know, he's pointing out to God, this, you know, this guy, well, you give him everything. But Job still praised him. Yet will I praise you. And, and when and if you ever feel like crying, go ahead. None of us are too big or too old to cry. Empty your heart. Whatever it takes to empty your heart of bitterness or resentment or frustration or whatever, call on the Lord and offer him thanks for everything you've done, he's done for you. And in his time and in his way, those burdens are lifted. So how do you revive the spirit of praise in your life? Let's say you just don't feel like it. How would you go about reviving that? Well, we could have sung today, revive us, O Lord, I suppose, to do that. Um, what does the Bible say about it? How do we revive our praise life? I'm going to give you a couple examples from the book of Psalms. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord, Yahweh, at all times. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Carry God's word in your mouth all the time. Another one, Psalm 146, 2. While I live, I'll praise the Lord. I'll sing praises unto my God while I have any being. As as long as I got breath in my life, I'm going to sing his praises. That's how I revive a spirit of praise. In other words, when life seems hopeless, begin to rejoice in his presence. When life seems particularly hopeless, bless his name. When life seems to be a little bit hopeless, thank God for all the blessings you actually do have. You may not feel like rejoicing when you start, but you will before you finish. After all, he's the God of hope. So maybe just a few more thoughts about Advent and hope. And let's, I'm going to go back and start with Advent again. It's a time of remembrance. That's what these next four weeks are, to remember. They're times of expectation because this is where we kind of prepare our, our lives for, what, Christmas, when Jesus is born. Uh, it's a time of expectation. And it's also a season of anticipation of his next coming after this. We weren't there when he first came at Christmas 2,000-some years ago. We may not be there when he comes back again the second time. Then again, we might be there. That's why I say, even so, come Lord Jesus during the sermon. If he comes right now, I wouldn't have to finish this. See, Jesus' birth restored hope to people who hadn't heard from God in 4,000 years. Imagine that. His people needed to know that he was still with them when life looked pretty grim. And the same is true for us today. Uh, when we look back at all the tragedies and the triumphs and that we may have endured these past couple of years, the trauma to this country, the our personal trauma in our families or whatever, I think it's really powerful for us to remind ourselves that because of Jesus, as Isaiah prophesied, our Emmanuel is still with us. Take everything from 1036 on the 3rd of December. All of that that happened, God was there. God saw you through to today. And guess what? He's with us right now. And he promises to be with us forever. See, what all of this means, friends, is this. In sadness and celebrations, uh, in brokenness and restorations, Um, Emmanuel, our God, is with us. Our God is always the God of hope. There's one last thing. Um, It's also necessary that we remind our children and our friends of this, too. I mean, don't keep it to yourself. Uh, Don't say, I got my hope. So so sorry about you. Share it with your family and your friends and share it with the people around you. And because of Jesus, no matter the dark past or the present experiences, our futures can be bright. I spent about an hour yesterday visiting with uh, Danny Fullington. Some of you may or may not know him. Danny's a pastor, a little church right outside of your driveway. He'd like to buy the property across the street to build, by the way, Ed. Um, and we talked about this, about dark times and the light of Jesus. And um, 
I find out what he was preaching about, and he was talking to me what I was preaching about, and we spent about an hour talking about hope. Yeah, we came up with all kinds of things that we hoped for. I hope Sarah gets back pretty quick. I brought that one up. Hope we have a good time with our kids at Christmas. I hope Restore continues to grow. I hope for everybody here who's got a burden in their life that God would just blow it away. There's all kinds of stuff to hope for. And it's not blind hope. As I say, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. See, the really cool thing is hope has come. And better yet, he's going to come again. That's our message of hope today.